Good morning or afternoon or wherever and however you're listening to this. This is the podcast, Priest, Brother, and You, where we talk about your deepest questions from life on campus. My name is Father Jake, joined by co-host Brother Matthew. We have a great show with you today, and we're also joined by a student, Megan Thomas. Brother Matthew here. Great to be back. Megan, welcome to the podcast. Megan is a sophomore studying business at the University of Minnesota, but just transferred into business from dancing. Yeah. And why did you decide to do that? If I could be a businessman or a dancer, <laughs> at least dancing seems more fun. <laughs> no, that's a fair point. Um, I've been dancing since I was super little. And so going into college, I was like, okay, what do I love to do? How can I do this in college? So I started off as a dance major, but then just realized I felt like I wasn't learning as much as I thought I would. Learning is like the main reason that I came to college. And so I thought, what runs at like the core of everything, no matter what you do, what's going to show up. And so for me, that was business. And so I kind of shifted to where now I do a lot of my dance training outside of school, but then in school, I'm learning about business, which I think is an important thing in the real world. <laughs> a controversial question for you. <laughs> of the styles of dance, which one is the best? Oh my gosh, that's a hard one. I think I think hip hop. Little do you know that when no one is looking, Brother Matthew actually engages in this type of dance. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> hip hop. Wow. Yeah, He's I would get kicked out of the dance now. school if they saw me dance. No, no. <laughs> so Megan, great, great to have you on the podcast today. You wanted to talk about God's will and its relationship to our will, and all kinds of questions related to that. Where should we start? Yeah. So I feel like this is a common theme on the podcast, but I was having one of those late night deep conversations with my roommates. And um, one of them kind of just brought up, if God has a plan for our lives, then how do we claim to have free will? And it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, wow, I don't really know how to respond to that. And so I just wanted to bring that to you guys um, and hear what you guys had to say about that. It's a great question. Great question. Which always means throw it first to Father Jake and see what he does. <laughs> I was just glad you jumped in first, hoping I would glean some wisdom initially from you. Uh, <laughs> no, it's these are the kinds of questions I think that really make college really worthwhile. Exactly what you're bringing up, the context even to the question. So having these late night conversations about real life and realizing that they actually have import for our practical living. Um, so yeah, I... I think this is a question that um, it might seem kind of philosophical, but I'm actually surprised how often it comes up, even the topic of free will. I'll be honest, sometimes, especially when it comes to working with uh, young adults, sometimes there's some spirit of rebellion against the thought of us having free will, because then if there is... Um, it can tend to box me into making bad decisions, which I have to own. Whereas if, oh, if I don't have free will, if it's just determinism, we could say, then I can kind of plead ignorance or I didn't have a choice in the matter. Um, so especially though for Christians and for Catholics, when we hear a lot about God's plan and then we hear free will, it's like, oh, oh, so if there's a plan, but I also have free will, do they intermix? Do they intermingle? How do they relate to each other? So I think this is a really good question. And so even just a, a few preliminaries, when we speak about like God's will or God's plan, uh, especially for business majors, I was econ myself. And sometimes when I think of a plan, I think of like an architectural plan that has very straight lines. Uh, it's very mathematical. 
And if you go outside the lines, you're our, you are outside the plan, kind of by definition. And so maybe there's a sense of, okay, God's plan is like this mathematical equation or like building a building. And if I'm kind of drifting outside of that plan, then all of a sudden uh, I'm not living in the plan of God. But where does free will come with this? So the two actually, in Catholicism, the two interrelate. They're not divorced from each other as if, okay, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I can be in God's plan. And Fridays and Saturday mornings, I have my own free will. Uh, No, the two actually interrelate. Exactly how, this is again the realm of mystery, but the church actually does have a very strong uh, point that the two interrelate. Uh, We do have free will. We're not determined. We do have free will. And there also is a plan, but not in the sense of that strict categories of, oh, sometimes I'm in God's plan and sometimes I'm automatically out of God's plan. There's more to that, but those are just a few preliminary points. So Megan, if you said to your friend, a kind of summary of what Father Jake said, if you simply said to her, yes, God has a plan, but we don't have to choose it. Mm. That's where our free will comes in. Is God has a plan, but we could reject it. How do you think she would respond to that? Yeah. Um, well, I feel like if our whole lives are heading towards this like pre-made plan, then wouldn't those decisions that we made, even like the no's or the, I don't want to go with this, I don't want to go with this thing that God has given me. Wouldn't that be in the plan as well? Like, wouldn't he know that you were going to say that or do that thing? I feel like that's what she might. Yeah. Really good point. So I like to like, let's think of a particular person that is, who who is real that Jesus encountered. Let's take St. Peter, I think is a great example. Um, When Jesus met Peter, he, he looked at him. That's what scripture says, which should strike us. Like Jesus took him in. And like was actually pleased to see him. He he made him, and immediately renamed him. <laughs> and so Jesus has a plan for Peter, and Peter sometimes can catch glimpses of it. So let's like notice how Peter evolves in following Jesus and Jesus' plan for him. Sometimes, maybe even oftentimes, Peter gives into fear and failure. He denies Jesus. He loses faith in the storming of the sea. Um, So in that sense, he goes away from God's will, which is actually to have confidence in God. So he chose something, fear, chose to live in a spirit outside of God's plan. And yet, God drew him into himself and even used at times the weaknesses to make Peter powerful. I think that's one reason why Peter is actually someone that many people are attracted to because they see a little bit of themselves. I don't follow God's plan perfectly. I do give in to fear. Sometimes I do feel like I'm drowning and maybe even I have been embarrassed to speak about Jesus, so a sort of denial. And yet, um, God can use our weaknesses when when he draws us back into his plan for good. So to make two, they might seem like philosophical distinctions, but we speak of God's active will and his permissive will. Both are part of God's plan. Both are his will, but there's two distinctions. So his active will, seeing exact when he sees us, when he saw St. Peter, he saw him in fulfillment. He knew exactly what he wanted him to become and be, who he had made him for. 
Uh, that's his active will, and Peter could choose that. And when Peter had occasional slip-ups or serious falls even, um, it was still in God's will, but it was his permissive will. He permitted it, uh, and he can still use it for good when we turn back to him. I don't know if that kind of makes sense, or if your roommate could hear that and how she might respond. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. I think making that distinction makes it more clear that it's not one straight um, one straight thing, but there is two sides to it. Maybe we can also say like this, Megan, that that when we speak of God's plan, there's two different things people could be thinking of. And this is another way to cut the distinction here. There's God's plan in the sense of God's view of God's plan. Maybe you might call that the objective sense. So this is this is the this is God's foreknowledge of everything about our lives and where we'll ultimately end up, everything we'll do. He knows it all. And this includes this includes the times that we will fall away from him and hopefully come back. But then there's another sense. When we say things like, God has a plan for your life, we actually mean something different. We mean our own perception of God's plan. And that's the kind of plan where we believe as, as Christians that no matter where we are right now, there is a path open to us for holiness, for sanctity, for salvation. And, and that plan is for us at all times. So if you're, if you have been in jail for committing a serious crime and, and on your deathbed, you have a conversion, then at the last moment you have, you have chosen God's plan for you. That's still available for you at that moment. Now, God had a better plan for you had you not committed all those crimes, but at least at the very end, you chose his plan. And so there was a possibility for you still at the end of salvation. So here's the question, I think, or the way to think about this is that what happens when we get off the path? Well, there's two possibilities. One is that when we get off the path, God simply asks us to get back on the path. So this is kind of like when you're you're hiking and you make a wrong turn. Before long, you're bushwhacking through thick vegetation. And, and there, what's the right thing to do? turn around and get back on the path. Now there's other times that when you're hiking and you realize, wow, this is, there's a tree falling over the river here. And this is, this is a great opportunity to cross the river. So you cross the river over the tree, then you're hiking along. And then you realize once again, now you're really, you're, uh, you're in a totally different part of the forest and you can't get back there. And so God recognizes that. And, and so in that case, God's plan for us is to actually stay the course and to, to give a real example, so if 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 Father Jake, uh, although he was called to be a priest, instead decided to get married, well, then he then he's married, and God's plan for him becomes to stay married and not to leave his marriage vows and to become a priest, but rather to stay stay married. But let's be honest, though. So our our decisions have real consequences. Yeah, that that poor woman that I married. <laughs> <laughs> so so as Father Jake says, God can still make good of even our sins, or or any kind of straying from the path. But but if we're not as deciding according to His will, then we're missing out on something better. Father Jake would have been missing out on 
the life of the full life of a priest that God was calling him to, which is something way more than he could have realized otherwise. So this is not intended to get us out of the fact that we still have to discern and seek God's will, and it's important that we choose it. So then would I be wrong in saying, maybe um, based off what you were commenting on, that like God's will maybe shifts in a way? Is that the right way to think about it? Or is that still, like, is that where our free will comes in? Is God sees the decisions we make and maybe shifts his plan? Or is that not how you're thinking about it? It's, again, there's two senses of God's plan here. So God's plan in the objective sense does not change in the sense that he foreknows everything we're going to do. But in the subjective sense, it does change. So maybe say it like this, God's plan does not change, but his plan for us changes when we, when we get off the path. Yeah. Yeah. To use another like scriptural analogy or image, one that Jesus used in Luke chapter 15, think of the parable of the prodigal son. You know, the man who had two sons and one son stayed with the father and the other son asked for his inheritance and went out and immediately began to live a life of dissipation, a life of sin, a life of going away from the goodness of the father. That was his free will. And his father allowed him, or to see it this way, his permissive will allowed it. He was not delighted in it. In fact, he knew it would probably be harmful, but he allowed the free will to take to take place. And the son went out and lived life large in a worldly sense, uh, but a dissipation. He was not living according to what he had been made for. And only until he started doing something really pathetic, <laughs> feeding pigs, or maybe in our eyes, maybe you're getting a job uh, and you're just cleaning toilets nine to five. You're like, how did I get here? And even though I had a degree in business and I had all the a great resume and I got here. <laughs> um, and precisely there, it's like when he was feeding the pigs, he realized what his state was. And in his free will, he said, I will go back to my father. Now, all of a sudden, God can use this for good. There's a reason why that story is so powerful, because it shows that God's will is always open to receive us back into it when we have willingly departed from it. I don't know if that helps at all. Yeah, I think it does. I think we should mention there's a mystery here. There's a mystery how God can have, the unchanging God can have a constant plan for our lives and know everything we're going to do. And yet also we have free will once again. And so there is a kind of self-determination that's within our power. We'll just add a small caveat. By cleaning toilets, I actually think everyone should do this. This is not a demeaning thing. Even priests should clean toilets. Even priests should clean toilets, yes. So I want to ask kind of more of a pragmatic question. Um, Jeremiah 29, 11 talks about the Lord having a plan to give us a future full of hope. Um, how do we know if we're living out this life that God's shaped for us? So I know like personally, I've recognized times in my life where fear has prevented me from acting. I know you're talking about fear before, Father Jake, um, because I don't want to make the wrong decision. And I feel, I feel like there have been things that have passed me by that God intended for me, missed opportunities in a sense. So how do we find confidence in um, the path that God has given us? Yeah, I think fear is one of the most powerful and prevailing emotions uh, that we can give into. Um, because even people that are what we might see as big risk takers, you know, adrenaline junkies or whatever, fear is actually quite pervasive. And why do we give into it? Because it's safer. Because we can't see the future or what's going to happen. So 
Sometimes when the Lord puts something on our heart or beckons us to go a particular direction or prompts us to, to think differently, we can experience fear because I don't know what's going to happen, but I think that it's kind of dangerous. Something might hurt me. And so I, I easily turn in on myself. And like that parable from the gospel, the, the man who buried the talent, it seems so safe, like nothing's going to hurt me here. And yet he missed out. He missed out on the expansive beauty of God, Jeremiah 29, 11, talks about a future full of hope, not in the sense of kind of a naive or surfacy sort of elation, living without the cross, living without suffering. No, something far deeper, living so that I truly become like the full flowering of the human person that God has asked. So one very practical thing I would say to this is how do we not miss out? Uh, be awake to the small promptings of God. When we start ignoring those things or hardening our hearts to them, wanting to go our own way, our vision starts to become very small. And we start missing out on the bigger things that God is prompting us to, but we have now hardened our hearts to hear and be obedient to. So just following the promptings of God is part of the spiritual life. Where is the Lord inviting me to look, to be attentive to? Um, I think that might be just a first step. And then recognizing too, there are times where we're, all of us are going to miss out. You're going to miss out on things, Megan. You're going you're gonna to not see God's will and you're going to choose something else. And, I, and you're going to regret that. I don't want to say that we're not going to regret that. I've done this mm -hmm. myself. I've done things that I've regretted. And yet, God has a plan for my life. And so there's a, there's a deep, deep mystery that when we, when we do things we regret, not only does God still have a plan for our life, but then it's also accompanied by mercy because we no longer deserve that plan for our lives as if we ever did. Yeah, I think those are both really helpful. And I think another um, side of the fear is that fear of letting go and saying, God, let this be done if it's your will. Because um, I know that's another aspect is being like, oh, I'm scared for this to happen. But also I'm scared to just let go and let God's plan um, kind of take action. Yeah. Yeah. This is um, exactly these little phrases that we can sometimes use um, very easily without thinking deeply. Like, okay, let go, let God, let Jesus take the wheel. You know, <laughs> uh, those are great things that we can smile and laugh to. And then all of a sudden, like when your life gets, gets real and you're actually making a real decision or something um, is something big that you're discerning in your life. Wow. All of a sudden, like letting go is really, really hard sometimes. You're like, man, I had no idea it was going to be this hard. Um, so this is, yeah, again, definitely part of growing in the life of God, growing the plan of God, is exercising what Bishop Cousins would often say to us, you know, exercising small acts of courage. Don't even think about the massive acts of courage, you know, uh, but daily making small acts of courage of saying, Lord, I, I want to do your will. Lord, I want to follow you. And that will build almost like the spiritual muscles to be able to respond in those bigger moments when it Again, every moment counts, but those moments that we need, all the strength and help we can get. When, when Mary said yes at the Annunciation, that yes was preceded by many, many minor yeses. Her whole life leading up to that point was a yes to God, such that 
when this major question presented itself to her. Will you receive the Lord in a way you don't fully understand, in a way which will totally change your life? Are you going to say yes nonetheless? And she was ready to because of these small yeses. So I think something that you both are saying is it's really important to be just always listening, um, always ready for for the little things, because like you were saying, there, there are little opportunities that will come up. And if you're not really um, aware of yourself and aware of what God's saying to you, those can be like easily missed. And so is there a way to open yourself up more to hearing those things? I know we talked about it. Prayer is like a huge thing. Are there certain prayers or um, certain other things that we should put into our daily routines that could make us more open to receiving and hearing God's will? It's a great question and one that I rejoice in hearing. <laughs> if only more people ask that question. Um, we're all used to thinking. We think all the time. Um, you know, what Speak do I want for to... yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people think all the time. Well, what is prayer? Prayer is inviting God into your thinking. And it's such a different way of, well, quote, unquote, thinking about it. Like prayer is actually quite simple, but it's getting me out of uh, just myself. And I'm open to the other. I'm open to the transcendent and imminent God. God who's utterly transcendent. He's way beyond me. But he's utterly imminent. He's actually very close. And something happens where I just say, okay, I'm going to think about this. Lord, I invite you into my thinking. Uh, when God speaks, it's not always <laughs> a voice completely distinct from your own. No, really, sometimes, this is actually a very enlightening thing when I heard this. Oftentimes, as we're growing in God, growing in holiness, growing in responding to grace, God's voice and God's word will actually sometimes be synonymous with my own thinking, provided I'm headed in, in the right direction. So again, even going back to the prodigal son, where he came awakened and his eyes were open, he said, I should return to my father. That was God's will speaking in his own mind with his own thought. So sometimes, again, people naively think that God's voice has to be like this breaking in. Megan, uh, um, But sometimes it's actually the ways of truth in my own heart and conscience. And I can be awake to that and, and follow those things. One, one practical way of approaching this that's been in the Christian tradition forever is simply using night prayer to make a, an examine, to go through one's day and think about, ponder, and bring before the Lord, what were those moments, Lord, where you were trying to speak to me and I either responded or did not? What were those minor annunciation moments in just the past 24 hours that I accepted or missed? Megan, would it be helpful to talk about manifestation, something you've mentioned before? Yeah, yeah. So that was another one of my questions is um, for the people out there, I know manifestation is a pretty popular idea, but it's essentially thinking things into existence and it's really big among young adults. And so my question is, does this notion go against Christian beliefs? So in other words, sh um, from the perspective of the Catholic faith, should I be setting out um, detailed goals and ideals for my for my life? Yeah, this this uh, this is a great area to think about because it's something that which which has really become very prevalent on social media and seems by that fact to have a lot of power behind it, and at least superficially, 
it seems this this principle of manifestation seems to be almost exactly what Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark. He says, so I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So at least superficially, it's very similar to this idea in manifestation where where one thinks and, and really just tries to get themselves to believe their dreams, and then they come true, is the, is the idea. Here's the problem, though. Deep down, manifestation is based on a false premise. And it's a premise which comes from the new thought philosophy of the 19th century called the law of attraction. So this, this idea has been around for a long time in a different form. The law of attraction is a, is a conjecture, philosophical conjecture, a false one, I would posit, which says that like always attracts like. And what's the application there? Therefore, that positive thoughts attract positive outcomes, positive consequences. So just looking at that law of attraction, which is the basis of manifestation, it's simply not true. Mm-hmm. Think, for example, in physics, magnets, like does not attract like in, in magnets. I mean, if, if the universe did that as a whole, by now the whole universe would be sorted out in a periodic table with all the, all the boron over there and all the magnesium over there. But nor, nor is it true in relationships. The old people like young people. Priests enjoy brothers. I mean, especially Father Jake, he really, mm. really is grateful for me. Mm. Followers like leaders. I mean, there's so we could go on and on with examples of how the law of attraction is is false. I do want to say though, there is something there is something good behind manifestation. And in fact, the reason that manifestation works at all is because there's a little bit of truth in it. And it's this that in order to accomplish goals we really do need to focus on them. In fact, that's why most people don't accomplish their goals is they don't keep them in mind sufficiently as this manifestation strategy requires. So as Catholics, we we can definitely set goals and we want to set goals. But here's the problem with using this method of manifestation. There's an underlying pantheism or spiritualism, which, which is just very dangerous. Yeah. So again, uh, popularized in the 19th century, especially with Oprah. Oprah has really popularized this. And I would agree with everything Brother just said. In addition to, um, one of the things that makes it deeply dangerous is that it's also based on the premise of you can get whatever you want, which just isn't true. Um, And what makes that particularly dangerous is that it's very egocentric. I see this a lot with people in the new age where um, they're very egocentric, even if it doesn't look like it on the surface, because the world, the cosmos, it all revolves around them, their spiritual energy, what they want to bring into existence, uh, their goals, their ideas. And it's all, it kind of creeps into just an inward focused ego. Um, I would say it even has links to the philosophy of Frederick Nietzsche, who talked about the will to power. Very egocentric. (laughs) Um, A second aspect of why it's so dangerous is in our means to get and concentrate on what we want to bring it into existence, we can often start to consort with illicit means to get there. 
So especially uh, with the new age, you can start, you know, dabbling in crystals and weird yoga forms, um, even uh, going to witches, palm readers, even consorting with demons, anything to get what I want. Because if it's about what I want, I don't really care how it comes about as long as I get it. So those would be some dangers to it. I would agree with Brother Matthew that there is a, we always want to draw out um, some good to it. Like it wouldn't be there if there wasn't something good about it, some truth in it. And this is the power of desire. Desires are actually in the Christian life. We want to pay attention to them. Uh, that actually is helping us <laughs> if we're obedient, if we're awake to our deepest desires. Augustine really championed this. We call him the doctor of desire. But what the Christian should really focus on, even more than just, quote unquote, my goals, my stuff, is those things that will direct me closer to the life of God. That can also mean being very good at work, being a person of virtue, uh, a person of excellence. Absolutely. But to watch for it to start veering off into, it's all about me, what I want, and I'm willing to engage with sources that would be illicit. So what I'm hearing is you do need to set out goals for yourself and you need to um, be disciplined in going towards those goals, but also have the open mindset to know that sometimes there are things bigger than you and bigger than yourself. Um, and you need to be also running towards God, not just towards um, your ego-centered desires. If that's Is that kind of what you're... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's exactly right. We talk about the two, the two ways. There's the way of God and there's the way of non-God or the way of darkness. So a great psalm to meditate on is Psalm 1. Sometimes they give this out. It's a penance. <laughs> it's blessed is the man uh, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the way of sinners, but delights in the law of God. So when we're pointed in the right direction, God gives us a lot of freedom and flexibility to exercise and, and seek to attain real goals. Those are good. Those are needed. Um, but to watch like it gets off kilter really quick if we're not pointed and directed in our interior compass towards the things of God. So manifestation is so attractive to people, I think, because rightly so, they want good things in their life. But here's the good news. Christianity wants this for us as well. The gospel brings to us this message that, that great things are in store for us. You cited Jeremiah in this connection. But what's, what's Catholicism's approach to actually attaining the great things of God? It's, it's not manifestation. Rather, it's one, asking for great things, ask for mountains to be thrown into the sea, and then finally, or secondly, working for great things. Think of St. Paul's missionary efforts. So once again, we have this combination of, of free will and predestination, these two things in tension, asking for great things and then working to bring them about. So therefore, rather than trying to control the universe, which is manifestation, in Christianity, what ends up happening is we receive good things as a gift, but we also realize we have a part to play. This is why St. Paul can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, of course, what are, what are the kinds of things that Christ is going to strengthen Paul to do? Only good things. Not whatever Paul might, might think of on a whim, but only the good things that are in God's plan for him. So it's not only that those end goals that matter, but it's your intent in getting there. 
Yeah. Yep. Yeah, like when we talk about moral theology, we talk about three distinctions. There's the object or what we want to do. Uh, there's the intention. And then there are the means or circumstances. And so to think about it just in that way, um, provided that we have a good object, it's, it's, it's actually objectively good. I can seek this excellence at my job, uh, seeking a particular virtue, uh, building the, uh, good friendships. Like those are good things. Those are, ob the object is good. <laughs> the uh, circumstances, you know, like, okay, am I in college? Am I a young adult? Am I married? Those things are going to change a little bit. Um, our ability to live out that, that attainment of the object. And then there's the intent. Do I have good intent? Um, so just kind of keeping those three basic areas in mind. So one last question going into um, with all this in mind, going into prayer, where is the balance between praying, God, this is what I want, and um, God, what do you want for me? Hmm. Where do you where do you find that balance? <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate question: mm -hmm. my will versus God's will. Right. So, fortunately, prayer is a relationship, so it's not simply my will constantly conflicting with God's will, but it's 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 me saying, Lord. Make my will your will. I know your will is best, so conform my desires to your desires. You have a plan which is better for me than anything I could imagine on my own. Give me a desire for that plan myself and give me the strength to choose it. I can do all things through you, Lord Jesus, who strengthens me. But without you, Lord Jesus, I can do nothing. Hmm. Yeah. If I could share just a quick little narrative of something that has always stayed with me. Um, several years ago, a young man came up to me after the Sunday Mass, um, just uh, a guy I'd never met before, and he said, Father, like, you know, I'm really coming alive in my faith, and I'm absolutely convinced I'm called to be a Catholic priest. And on the surface, like, wow, that's fantastic, you know? <laughs> um, and I don't know how this came about, this little inspiration, but it was just like a passing thought, you know, just shaking hands after Sunday Mass. And I just said to him, are you, like, praise God, if that's the case, like, are you open to God speaking into that? Like, maybe it's God's will, maybe it's not. Um, and I didn't want to, like, suppress, you know, what God le legitimately might be doing, but he said it so forcefully, like, I'm called to be a priest. And um, I think this is a, something I learned. Um, we can tell if we're going the right direction based on our ability to say, Lord, these are my plans, but I'm giving you the freedom to change them, to, to speak a, a different way. These are my plans. I'm going to go this direction. I think they're good, but I'm open to them changing if you want them to change. Because that's a, a humility in our discernment of plans. God God desires us and he gives us a mind to make decisions and make plans. Um, and I think a great discernment thing is watching our interior reaction um, to if God might say, hmm, can I change that? Are you open to that? And sometimes if we're like, no, <laughs> that will tell us a little, um, a little something about our, our plans and our intention uh, of them. So Megan, thanks, thanks so much for being with us today. This is a great question, as we see, not only because it people want to know, people want to understand what does the church teach about predestination versus free will, but even more deeply, this is a question which which really informs our relationship with God. 
So thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you guys so much. You've given me a lot to think about. Yeah, thank you, Megan. This has been fantastic. Thanks, everybody. Have a good week. <laughs>